hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Hey, and welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast, an adulting advice podcast production. I'm Danny Sheriff, and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. And quick disclaimer, guys, I'm not a doctor and none of the information in this podcast is intended to replace medical advice. Always seek the advice from your physician. Guys, before we jump in, before we jump in, I want to invite you to a live session I'm doing today. Today's the 15th of November. And I'm doing a live call with you guys. It's called Overcoming the Fear of Quitting Exercise and Eating More. Shocker, I know. This is such a common topic, such a common question that you guys have. I have put together a whole like session presentation where we talk about giving up exercise and the control of your food. And I touch on why you want to commit to that process. Some of the benefits that you didn't even know about. And then we're going to talk about your identity as the fit girl or the healthy girl or the athlete, whatever it is that you have your identity wrapped up in. We're going to talk about that. 
And then we're going to do an exercise where I help you work through some recovery roadblocks, just some common ones that come up around this whole overcoming, uh, quitting exercise and eating more food. And then we're going to jump into a Q&A so you can ask whatever questions that you want. I'm going to do my best to answer them and I'm going to give you all a little bit of a sneak peek into the HA Society because it is open today. So that webinar is at 2 p.m. CST. So that's, you know, like uh, whatever time zone you're in, you just have to figure it out. <laughs> but it's 2 p.m. CST and I'm, I'm going to go live on Zoom. We're going to chat. We're going to see each other's faces if you're open to it. And I hope that you guys enjoy it. So to get on there, you can click the link in the show notes web or go to webinar.thasociety.com or head to Instagram, find me on the at the HA podcast, and you'll find a link to join the webinar then. And if you're late or you can't make it, that's okay. Still register and I'll shoot you the replay. Yeah. And I hope that you guys are having an amazing day. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the AJ podcast. Um, This is a bonus episode actually, which is really exciting. It's a bonus episode because the AJ Society is open today. It is the new moon. And so I just want you all to know that you can go and sign up right now. We're doing a bonus episode today with Kaylee, who's actually um, doing a event later. Dude, is it December? Yeah, which is weird. <laughs> I get, yeah, she, yes, she's doing an event for December. So listen to this episode. If you love her, you can look forward to the fact that you'll be able to talk with her live ask her whatever questions that you have. Um, yeah, go to the hasociety.com, sign up now, and it closes on the 18th. So in four days from now, so the clock is ticking. Okay. Welcome Kaylee McDevitt. She's a registered dietitian. She's been on the show before. Um, you guys always love her and afterwards typically go and try and find her on Instagram and ask her more questions. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I collected some questions on Instagram from you guys, which is where I always get questions for the show. And they are, you guys ask some really, really good questions and she is way more qualified than me to answer them. So I'm so excited that she's here. Welcome Kaylee. Thanks for having me, Danny. Excited to be back. (laughs) And I love like having, I know, I just love having you on the show. And when we did the event inside mm-hmm. of the group back in like September, I got so much positive feedback, um, which is just always really exciting. People are just like, oh, she's so knowledgeable. And I loved the way she answered questions. And I love the way she talks about food. And you put a lot Sweet. of people at ease. Well, good. I'm happy to hear that. Well, uh, all right, well, we're going to dive into some questions because we have a lot of them and only limited time. So I wanted to start straight up with this question from Hillary, which is what is the rec- what is the recommended amount of magnesium to take? And I feel like really we can just touch on like magnesium in general here. Sure. Um, magnesium is probably my favorite supplement like I very rarely am telling everybody that they need something 
but magnesium would be like maybe the one thing that I felt confident that pretty much everybody needs more of. Most of us are deficient. We just don't get it in the same quantities that we used to from food because it's pretty depleted in the in the soil. And magnesium is like nature's muscle relaxant, nature's anti-anxiety. We could all use a little bit more of that in 2020. Um, and when we're talking about HA specifically, we're talking about decreasing stress on the body and supporting the whole HPA axis. And magnesium does that really well. So in addition to like sleeping better and maybe being less stressed, it can help with getting that hypothalamus communicating with the rest of the body better. So magnesium, um, typically anywhere from 300 to 600 milligrams. Um, I've definitely gone higher with particular clients before, but that's a really good starting place. You always want to start with the lowest effective dose for you before you pile on like a ton of anything. So start at 300, take it in the evening. Um, if you notice that it's affecting your sleep positively, then great. And if not, then you can bump it up a little each night until you notice that you're sleeping a little bit deeper, um, feeling some of those nice, calming, relaxing benefits of magnesium. So 300 to 600 milligrams a day is a good range. Do you re uh, recommend that like natural calm supplement? Do you mm, know it? Well? That's a good question. Yeah, I like that one. Um, it's pretty inexpensive. It's like a decent tasting drink. So the form of magnesium is important too. And natural calm is magnesium citrate. And magnesium citrate can have a laxative effect at higher quantities. So if that's the one that you're using and you're noticing looser stools, um, that's where that's coming from. So you have to be careful with higher doses of that form of magnesium. And if you're somebody that does tend towards constipation, that's probably a good route for you to go because it can help keep things regular. But if you have no problems having daily bowel movements or you're noticing loose stools from natural calm, then you'll want to switch to magnesium glycinate, which is you can find that in a powder form too um, or a capsule. Okay, guys. So just revisit this episode every time you need to like check back in. And other quick question. If someone's having trouble sleeping, do you always or would you typically recommend, yeah, like looking at magnesium before just looking at melatonin or like mm -hmm. who, melatonin? Like what's it? Because it's technically kind of like a hormone. Yeah replacement therapy in a way right, right. <laughs> yeah it is so magnesium would always be the first line of defense that I'd go to for anybody um, melatonin is not an issue like what we know is that taking melatonin is not going to decrease how much melatonin you make which is normally the question that we would have if we were taking a hormone but melatonin is typically only really helpful if we're changing sleep schedules so like if you traveled across time zones or um, like you work shifts and you're changing like big changes in your sleep schedule. Melatonin can help reestablish your circadian rhythm. But on just an average night, magnesium is likely more effective for you for sleep. Melatonin is more like a short term aid versus an every night thing. Oh, uh, OK. So there is this like theory going around that if you take melatonin, it will affect your natural ability to produce it. And we know that this yeah. is not true. Not true. Thankfully. Thank God. I know. <laughs> I actually just, my husband has the gummies and they just taste really good. Yeah. <laughs> and I just want to eat them. And I've been worried about, I've actually thought about just putting my own jar of gummies on the, uh -huh. on the bench in the, 
oh, the counter, whatever we say here, in the <laughs> bathroom because I just want to eat gummies at night. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been like worried that I'm overdoing it. Well, there you go. Feels good. No, you're fine. If, if nothing else, it's just not helping, but it's not hurting. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Take my day. Question number two. When going all in, everyone knows what that means. How important is the daily balance of macros? That is a good question. So when going all in, your hierarchy of needs here, like if we're talking about a pyramid that we need to work our way up, the base of that pyramid is eating enough. Like your total calorie intake is always going to be more important than your macro balance. Always. Um, Once you are squared away with eating enough consistently, then you can get a little fancier and start looking at the balance of macros because we've got some benefits to gain from that in terms of one, making sure you're getting enough of each macronutrient and two, balanced macro meals support stable blood sugar and typically make you feel better, which is great, but it's not the most important thing. So start first with eating enough on a consistent basis, hitting your total intake goals. And then once you do that, then you can start focusing on a balance of macronutrients because, you know, protein, carbs, and fats all have a unique benefit in terms of HA recovery. We need them all. And ideally we're getting enough of each of them and, you know, balanced macro meals is a great way to ensure that, but we can't, I can't remember the saying for this, like pulling the horse before the cart or something like that. We can't, we can't focus on these really tiny details before we focus on the big stuff. So calories first, total intake first, then macro second. Love it. I don't know what that saying was. I think it's putting the cart before the horse. Oh yeah. That would make more sense. I think so. Okay, cool. Well, that question was from Daphne, but Adele asked like a very similar one with a similar answer, but probably, but she said in HA recovery, what's more important fats or carbs? So Mm -hmm. you're basically saying doesn't matter until you've got your calories um, dialed in. Say she does have her calories Mm -hmm. dialed in. How would you answer this question? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm being picky, both are important. You know, we need fats to manufacture our hormones. So that's a big deal. But when we're thinking about influencing brain communication, which is really what recovering from HA is about, getting the hypothalamus communicating to the ovaries again, um, we actually know that carbohydrates are really important for that. And that the brain, like the hypothalamus, depends on there being enough glucose available to even send these right messages. And in this case, it's luteinizing hormone, that LH surge that would cause ovulation. Um, and so having enough carbohydrates is necessary for ovulation. So I've seen many times in my practice, women coming in from like a very low carb approach or keto um, and getting them in a higher carbohydrate intake was enough to help get ovulation back. So I think if I absolutely had to pick one, I probably would start with making sure you've got enough carbs going on just from what we know with getting the brain involved in that communication again. I'm not saying fats aren't important. But I'd say if I had to pick one first, get those carbs squared away and then make sure you've got enough healthy fats. Yeah. it's And it sounds like it's really important to state it just, it depends on you. Totally. Like, I mean, in a perfect world, she would know how much of those you're already eating and yeah. be able to tell you which is more important for you. Mm-hmm. Depends. Okay, cool. And you had mentioned carbs like being beneficial for luteinizing hormone mm-hmm. and mentioned that it's important for ovulation. Yeah. So can you help me understand here? Like 
I mean, the luteal phase is after ovulation. Yep. So I'm like trying to picture how they're connected. So yeah. can you explain a little bit about like how that impacts ovulation and the luteal phase, which is the amount of time after yeah. you ovulate? For sure. So the luteinizing hormone, I think, is a little confusingly named because of when that's actually spiking. So we've got two hypothalamic hormones, like two brain hormones when we're talking about like top-down communication for ovulation. We have FSH and LH. FSH is follicle-stimulating hormone and LH is luteinizing hormone. And it's these spikes that are happening kind of behind the scenes of estrogen and progesterone orchestrating this whole ovulation event. So we've got follicle-stimulating hormone first, and just like it's named, it's helping to mature a follicle in the ovaries and to get that ready to eventually ovulate. And it's those follicles in the ovaries that make estrogen too. So that first FSH spike is helping to make estrogen through the follicle. And then once estrogen gets to its tipping point, its highest point before ovulation, it triggers that LH surge in the brain. And so we get this luteinizing hormone surge right before ovulation, so leading into the luteal phase, whereas FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone is happening earlier in the follicular phase. So I guess, I mean, the names make some sense with how that's set up, but you would think that LH would only be going on in the second half in the luteal phase. Um, But luteinizing hormone is triggering that release of the egg, which starts the luteal phase. Yeah. So it does actually make sense when you think about that. It's just like it happens before and the result is the luteal phase. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So that was like a selfish question for me too, because I have really short luteal phases, which sucks ass. It's not that great when you try and get pregnant. That ain't happening. So, I mean, like I'm always trying to stress, it's not just about getting your period. Yes. Like if you want to get pregnant, you also need to have a cycle that's like performing at a high level. And so is it possible that looking at carbohydrate intake is something that's going to help with increasing luteal phase? Basically like luteal phase defect, how does macronutrients and nutrition play a role? Yeah. I would say carbohydrates would be top on my list for making sure that you've got enough of and maybe even playing around with different levels and just seeing how that affects your cycle. You know, when you're dealing with women's health stuff, it's literally just like an ongoing experiment because you have to wait so long (laughs) to test it out. You know, it's not like what happens next week. It's what happens a month from now. Um, I would be curious to take a look at that. Um, we know fats are important because that's what we're actually manufacturing hormones out of. So there's a chance that if fat intake was too low, that that could be part of a luteal phase defect. We just didn't have the raw materials. And then, I mean, I can't leave protein out. That's important too. It doesn't sound as important because it's not like a direct building block or a direct signaling molecule. But as far as giving the body raw materials for like just day-to-day function, that's, that's a big one and keeping stress at bay. Um, and then for luteal phase defect, like in addition to all the food stuff is sh- like sleep, stress, movement, like all the other aspects of HA is going to affect how long that luteal phase is and making sure that the body feels safe can actually use its energy toward progesterone production, which is what we get when we're in the luteal phase. So having a short one means we don't get as much time with that glorious progesterone around. So figuring out what's what's swiping away resources. 
Interesting. I think us human beings just really like to categorize and we like we need to know <laughs> the order of importance of everything. It's like, dude, yeah. it's just all important. I know. I hate that answer though, because you're like, great, now I have 30 things I need to do instead of one. <laughs> uh, well, I, it just comes down to figuring out which one is which one of those needs addressing for you personally. Because yep. you could have the others yep. on wrap. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Question number three, official question number three, actual question number six <laughs> or seven. <laughs> Let's see, which, who do we choose? Can you be, Stacy asks, can you be putting on weight but have an energy imbalance? I feel like I must be eating too much. I'd say she means like, I feel like I'm eating all of the right food. So what the hell else could be happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a confusing predicament to be in because I think we're always taught that the body operates like a math equation. Like it's always calories in versus calories out in terms of whether or not weight gain is happening. And it just does not shake out that way. So it is definitely possible to be gaining weight and still be in an energy deficit, which I think is what her question was. Um, And that's because the body, especially in the beginning of going all in, oftentimes is still not fully trusting you and not trusting that there's going to be enough energy around on a consistent basis. So you'll actually see body fat gain increase in the beginning as a security blanket. It's like, oh my gosh, there's adequate energy around. Let's hang on to some of this to protect her for the next bout of famine that we might go through. And there's also like influence of hormones, particularly stress hormones at that time that can cause you to hold on to more body fat. And there's also the metabolism factor here too, that if we've been under eating or under fueling for a long time, we downregulate our metabolic rate. And so when we start eating more, sometimes weight gain happens, even if the math doesn't add up and that's a temporary thing. So if this is in the beginning of going all in and you're like, man, I'm gaining weight, but my period hasn't come back. Is there a chance I'm still in an energy deficit? It's definitely possible. And you probably just need to give it more time and just know what your body is actually doing is trying to look out for you and make sure that it's got your back. If we dipped back into under eating again. And the best way through it is to continue to provide enough energy so that it can feel safe and no longer need to do that. And that helps get your metabolism back on track um, and makes maintaining your body weight a lot easier down the road. It's not so untrustworthy of amount of energy coming in. This is so interesting. And I love how you said, like, we tend to think that the body is a math equation. This is so confusing and really stressful for a lot of people because mm-hmm. we've really been told that we have been, mm-hmm. that, that we are um, a math equation. Sure. And I'm just so curious what your opinion is of, I see a lot of trainers, both men and women who really um, dismiss women's claims of having trouble losing weight, even though like they're in a calorie deficit and they always go to, well, are you really in a calorie deficit? Mm-hmm. Like if we if we look at it, like maybe you are snacking here, maybe you're incorrectly tracking your calories or your macros over here. And it's so confusing because these people say it with such authority and so mm-hmm. definitively that like if you are in a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. But we keep 
seeing women say they they're not and the other way around where they're like I'm trying you know I'm in a, a caloric surplus and there are we all know those people who are in a caloric surplus and they struggle to gain weight mm-hmm. and then those women who or and men I'm sure who do gain weight for health reasons but they're not seeing the transfer to their health as quickly mm-hmm. as they would like. So it's happening in all different ways and the math isn't adding up. So what are we thinking about those people that are saying like, if you're in a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. If you're saying it's not working, you're doing the math wrong. Like what, mm-hmm. what the hell is going on there? Oh gosh, it's irresponsible, but I also understand it. I mean, from thinking about how I was taught about nutrition like in school, earlier on in this journey, that is how it's taught, that it is math, that we can calculate these things, that I could look at a person and only know their height and weight and somehow automatically know exactly how much they need to eat to maintain their weight, lose or gain depending on their goals. And it's just not as simple as that. I I wish it was because it would decrease the amount of like investigative work we all have to do to figure this out. But particularly for women, because we have hormone fluctuations that are so significant when we contrast that to men. Um, those influence the rate of body fat gain. They influence our response to um, like strength training as an example, which would influence our metabolic rate. There are so many variables that you can't possibly know about somebody from just knowing their height and weight and throwing that into some calculator. And then we also have to keep in mind their dieting history. And if somebody is coming from years and years of under eating, whether that was on purpose or not, Their metabolism is different than it would be if we just looked at their height and weight and crunched some numbers. It's usually lower than that, which is why you could be prescribed a weight loss diet by a trainer based on math and not see any weight loss because your metabolism does not match your current height and weight. The good news there is that this is all this is all dynamic like this can change. You don't break a metabolism and can never recover from it. But the, the telling women you just need to eat less and less and less in order to see that weight gain is the, is the problem. Like that's what's causing all of this down regulation of the metabolism. So I think it's an irresponsible thing to tell somebody they're just doing the math wrong. Like there's just so much more to it than that. Thank you. Yeah, very <laughs> heated, <was> clearly. I <laughs> tangent question. <laughs> hey. Um, any tips on, or Geraldine asks, any tips on long follicular phase and low hormones? Mm, Is there okay. a correlation there? Yes. So like we were talking about when we were getting into that FSH, LH stuff, there's a couple of hormone surges that have to happen in the follicular phase to get ovulation going. And so your follicular phase, which is what happens from the start of your period until ovulation, will just like carry on forever until ovulation happens. So like that's the event that shortens the follicular phase is getting ovulation to happen on track. And so low hormones are a really big reason for delayed ovulation because we have to have that big spike in estrogen to even get ovulation to go on. So my questions would be, why are these hormones low? What's going on there? Is it like an under eating situation, a lack of resources to make them? Is it stress? Your body's not feeling like it's a safe time to ovulate. Is there a bunch of disruptions in sleep and circadian rhythm? 
Um, is there like, are you sick? Is there some kind of a, an illness going on, like an infection or inflammation behind the scenes? Is it vitamins and minerals related? So unfortunately, like there's some investigative work that has to be done to figure out your individual root cause for that. But I would be curious to know why hormones were low and like the lowest hanging fruit for trying to get hormones higher is making sure that we're eating enough on a consistent basis and managing different inputs of stress. So exercise, sleep, circadian rhythm, inflammation, those kinds of things. Um, and then the other piece of that puzzle, of course, is how the brain is communicating back down to the ovaries. So if there's been any um, like head injuries in the past, that's something that can interfere with that communication. Um, if there's anything going on with the pituitary gland, like if you get some lab work and your prolactin is high, like there are some other things that could be interfering, but I would start with the basics and you'll probably get far with that. It kind of sounds like a, the you should be doing that throughout your whole cycle anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Again, there's no there's no like part of the cycle that's more important than the other. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Next question. Hmm. Oh, okay. This one. Um, by Stacy, can you be putting on weight but have an energy imbalance? I feel like I must be eating too much. Did yeah, I already ask that question? Did I already ask that question? We did that one. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, this one. If I'm still gaining weight, okay. So it basically is a similar it is a similar question. If I'm still gaining weight, I'm 10 months into HA, can I still be gaining weight? This is a question about set point theory, I think. Mm-hmm. Set point theory real. Can I, if I'm still, when, like, when does it stop? <laughs> when does the weight gain stop? <laughs> yeah. Is it possible? Because um, people are not weighing themselves often in this situation, right? So they didn't even know, like, what's happening. Weight gain is happening at a rate that, like, it's hard for us to even see, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I guess some people are wondering, can they stop? Like, is people doubt set point theory is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it is. I think that our bodies are very good at regulating energy intake and expenditure to support whatever our like natural, happiest, healthiest weight is. But I think what we underestimate is the length of time it can take to get back to that place, um, particularly depending on how long HA has been going on and how long before that was energy availability an issue, whether it was from like overtraining, under eating, or a combination of both. It takes time for your body to trust that things are going to stay like they are right now, like there's going to be enough energy around. It takes time to shift the metabolism back to whatever normal is for you. And I mean, 10 months into HA recovery without knowing, you know, what was happening prior to those 10 months is difficult to comment on. But I would say that it's possible to still see weight gain at that point. Um, and it will end at some point too, but you have to give your body space and time to trust you, trust itself and to start making its own, um, like hunger and fullness cues reliably again, because if we've been ignoring those for a long time, oftentimes decades, it just depends on your past. It takes a while to get that back to actually be feeling hunger and feeling fullness and being able to eat according to those things because our entire like health and diet industry teaches us how to ignore or manipulate those. So it takes time. 
but I do believe, I believe that the body is good at regulating. We will get to that point. And, you know, it's just staying the course and, and trusting that your body really has your back. You guys are on the same team, which is like opposite of how we usually view the body in the context of nutrition. And can your set, you kind of alluded to this in another answer, but mm -hmm. can your set point change? And another way of asking that is, can, is it possible that I'll reach my set point, make no changes over a period of time, and then I'll see something else happen, like um, further weight will drop? And then I want to like preface this question with like, the reality is a lot of us are just really conscious about our weight. We have a fear that we're going to gain insidious weight gain and um, our life is going to be over. Mm -hmm. And I don't always love asking questions like this because it's like, it feels a little bit like it's promoting this idea that um, that's still the ultimate goal at the end of the day, right. still eventually to lose weight. And that's not the case. Mm -mm. But I also feel like um, it's a stressor on some people. And I really think that once you begin the process and you've gone through, you know, you've gone through and done the work you need to do, it becomes something that will be less important to you as yeah. time goes on. But right now, for those of us who find it very important to get the comfort of knowing what the long-term situation looks like, yeah. Can set point theory change? And is it true that you'll eventually start to lose weight again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just want to normalize that concern for a second. I think it is completely okay to want to nourish and support your body and recover from HA and work on a lot of the body image, like food fear stuff. And it's also okay to want to feel comfortable in your body too, even if that means it's a little smaller than it is now. It's okay. You can do both. You can want both at the same time. I think there's a lot of like shame that you have to be firmly in one camp or the other. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. like, it's actually okay to want to lose weight. We're just mm -hmm. right okay. now. It, it's just not always something that you should be striving to. And the problem is that's all the only goal you've ever had. And it's okay yeah. to go through seasons mm -hmm. where that's something you want to do. And this is such an opportunity for you to learn about not taking that too far, what to change your idea yeah. of what, um, you know, a like a, a healthy feeling looking body is like, we need to rework that. And it's okay after all this is said and done to one day try that again. That That's not over for you. Mm -hmm. We just hope yep. you have a way better experience with it next time. Yeah. Good preface. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I think, I think really what you're doing with HA recovery is, is just being responsible, like metabolically responsible is a good way to describe that. And I think that it is possible for set points to change. And just thinking back in, in past clients or even what I've, I've observed in myself, if we give ourselves that space to heal, to trust ourselves again, like for our body to trust us to continue to give it what it needs, we see a change in stress hormone production. We're not cranking out so much cortisol because we're not like in this survival mode 24 seven, which really affects body fat storage. Um, and then we also have like the ability to build and maintain lean muscle mass when we are eating enough and nourishing ourselves sufficiently. And so when we get to a place where um, bringing in some exercise is appropriate and particularly strength training, 
we have a big chance to increase our metabolic rate with that, which is going to bring your body weight set point down in terms of body fat, because we've got a more robust metabolism, which so basically what you're doing by giving yourself the space to move through this healing is creating like a much bigger furnace, which means that body weight maintenance for you in the future will be so much more effortless and should weight loss ever be a goal, it will not take drastic measures to attain it. Um, it, and it wouldn't put you back in the same position. So it's like taking this uncomfortable route of doing things differently and, and going through the work of loving yourself during that process um, makes life easier so you don't end up in this position again. So like this could be the last time you have to do it. Yeah, my anecdotal experience has been as soon as I started doing some strength training again, um, I was so much more responsive to that yeah. physically and I didn't I didn't make any drastic changes and I think something that happens is we get into um fitness health yep. exercise we and we do our first diet and it's our first diet so the re- results are huge yeah right like you you see results really noticeable ones really quickly so then you think like this is the way forever yeah but those results don't they're not as uh Oh my God, words. They're not as resulty. Yeah. <laughs> like they, um, and, and you, and now it's your fault and you're right. not doing a good enough job and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh wow. Now I've tried this new way where I fuel my body. I rest enough. Like, oh. I know. Right. Dude, Imagine. I'm like working out <laughs> way less, way less eating way more. And I'm seeing an equal amount of results that I saw last yeah. time because it's a new stimulus. Yep. But I, but like now it's exciting because I can change it and it's always temporary. Like mm-hmm. maybe one day I will do a mini cut. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I don't think so to be honest <laughs> with you. But like, that sounds people, horrible. <laughs> yeah. But there are people who who that's like a fit for and mm-hmm. because they didn't live their life in that situation and they they did it the way it's always prescribed by professionals yeah. that we all just poo poo it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they do it for a short period of time and then they get back out of that. And, and then you start to see the results. So you're just getting the opportunity to start again. Yeah. And you're going to love it. And I was talking to someone else on the show recently. Um, I can't remember who it was, but we we're talking about like the, when you allow yourself enough food, rest, recovery, you allow yourself also healthy hormones and a healthy functioning inside of your body. Yep. And that is this like cycle of just like feeling good and high self-perception. Mm-hmm. And when you have that high self-perception, you're so like when you're in this HA state, a lot of us are like um, really stressed out about what, mm-hmm. what weight means about us and how we're going to look and the version that we see of ourselves in the mirror and the image that we have of our future selves having gained weight is like unfathomable it's Mm -hmm. super stressful it's really upsetting but when you go down this path you it's not like you have the same brain and these changes are happening to your body like you are changing mentally and growing mentally and seeing Mm -hmm. things differently as you go and so as your body is changing so are you as a person and how you perceive yourself um grows and i like there's science to this right yes 
a hundred percent science to that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's ultimately like rejoining the same team as your body, I think is the way that we could describe mm -hmm. this whole process. And it's uncomfortable as hell because it's the opposite of what's ever being recommended to you. And it's usually a journey like people don't walk, <laughs> but what you're doing is getting on the same team. Like you're no longer using food and exercise to like outsmart or manipulate your body. You're learning how to use food and exercise to support and work toward the same goals. And once the body realizes that, like you said, now we're making hormones that make us feel awesome. And now we're making hormones that actually make us respond to training like we thought we should. It's just a beautiful thing when you have a common goal as your body and then you can like feel great while you accomplish what you're looking to accomplish. Yeah. This makes me think of the people who are, you know, listening to people talk about like intuitive eating and set point theory and it's, it's great on the other side. Come join us. And they're yeah. hearing that and they're thinking, these bitches are just saying this. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're just trying to make me feel better. They're just trying to get me to jump in the water, but actually there's sharks and this is all just a big lie. But it's not. <laughs> it's not, but we're so convinced. We're so convinced that none of it's true, that that what everyone's saying doesn't apply to them, that that can't happen for them, or that we're embellishing the reality mm -hmm. of getting on to the other side of disordered eating behavior. Yeah. Okay. Another question. Okay. Is it just about eating more and resting more? Uh, at the root of it, yes, <laughs> because it's about making your body feel safe. That is the end goal of recovery from HA is how can we make the body feel safe? Two of the best ways that we can do that is eating more, especially if we've been under eating and resting more, especially if we've been overtraining. So those are the two biggest inputs to the brain. Cool. So those who are like, okay, well, what's the next best supplement I can take? Mm -hmm. Like blah, 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 blah. Um, okay. Would, and would you say one is, do you ever see that one is more impactful than the other eating more or resting more? Mm. Anecdotally, I have seen, so this is based off nothing, but literally what I've seen. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious of your opinion. Um, people who reduce the exercise seem to um or like who quit exercise i have seen that to be just more in my circle more effective than yeah people who only increase their calories mm, that's interesting i mean it, it obviously is going to depend on what was the biggest energy like energy remover from the equation for that group and i think you tend to be in circles of people that like did do a lot of training or crossfitters or that makes sense to me that you would see that a lot. Cause I was going to say it's a pretty mixed bag and it just depends on what was going on in that person. Am I dealing with the chronic dieting population, which tends to be a lot of my clients are coming in after like years or decades of dieting. Um, I see that more than I see chronic exercisers. There's, it's a mixed bag, but I, I wouldn't say one or the other with any kind of certainty. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't say that any of the people that I've seen, like they didn't, they did also increase their food intake. Yeah. They, they just wouldn't identify with having gone all in. Okay. And so with those people who identify with that, I see like the game changer 
And and same for me because I felt like when I reintroduced exercise, my period went away again and I hadn't changed mm. my eating. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think that um, we also just, like, doubt how much energy exercise actually uses. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cool. Uh, all right, we're going to finish up on one more. Okay. Okay. I like this question. Can I have HA when I get my period every 45 to 60 days? So is that, does that still count as HA or is that just a long ass cycle? Mm, I would say that is a long ass cycle. (laughs) I I wouldn't put it under the same, like I wouldn't slap an HA diagnosis on that though. The way that we would work on that would probably be similar because whatever is lengthening your cycle that much is probably in the same neighborhood as the stuff that causes HA with the exception of PCOS, which is different and can cause long cycles like that. So without knowing this person or their background, I, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with them, but it is not outright HA just because your cycles are 45 to 60 days. Yeah. My, my hunch is that this person has HA, not PCOS and okay, they're just potentially struggling with committing to the process that got them their first mm. period this happened to me as well. That's why I know I would have like really, really long periods. And there was always a behavior of my own that I could correlate with that happening. So I think that that's pretty likely. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Uh, All right. That was a nice short and sweet one to finish on. (laughs) Kelly, thank you so much. Um, Where can people find more about you? You can find me on Instagram. Um, it's at KayleeRD. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, if you've got questions or just want to say hi, you can come find me over there. I'm happy to chat. I love Danny's community. HA Society peeps are the best. Um, and then my website is KayleeRD.com. So they're the same, same name, which is easy. Um, and I do occasionally, not as often as I'd like, put like full article style posts on my website. But, you know... We don't have all the hours of the day, so it's not as often as I would like. So Instagram is more where it's at. Someone come and help us. <laughs> so we can get off these computers for just a few minutes a day. No, no. Okay. Well, thanks. Yeah, go check out her um, Instagram because, dude, that thing is blowing up. I went on it the other day and I was like, what? <laughs> Double digits? Where, where is this girl coming from? So um, her stuff's super informative and you guys will all love nerding out over there. So do it. Thank you for coming onto the show. Remember everyone to come join us in the HA society. You can hang out with Kaylee there in December. You can hang out with me and all of the other amazing people and really fast track yourself to menstrual success. Okay. Love you all and have a good day. Thanks for listening today. And if you want to get involved in the conversation with me, with other amazing women just like the ones that you hear on the show i recommend you get on the waitlist for the ha society it opens on the new moon of every single month so if you're not on the waitlist go to the show notes or just head to waitlist.thasociety.com or thasociety.com or wherever you want to go and join on that waitlist and whilst i have you here i think it would be amazing if you were left a review for this podcast rate and review the podcast it helps give me clout allows me to get more badass guests on the show and helps other women 
just like you find the podcast more easily when they're searching around the internet or confused why they don't have period and it can help them find us in our little community that we have right here. Okay, I love you. Have a good one.